name, we thank you so much for touching our heart, Lord God, and for leading us, Lord God, to your throne of grace, Lord God, over and over again today, Lord God. We're so uh, happy to be in your house. We're happy to see your people, Lord God, uh, to be encouraged by them, to be lifted up, Lord God. Uh, but glad to have you, Jesus, in our life as our Savior and our Redeemer. May you continue to have your way. Now, Father, uh, we pray that you would help us to open our hearts uh, to your word, to be receptive to your word, Lord God, to be open to it, and also to apply all that we hear to our life, Lord God, so that we may not just be hearers only of your word, but we would also be doers as well. Help us to take everything that we hear and help us to walk in these things. Lord God, send your spirit, Lord God, to do a work in us now. Right now, Lord God. Right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. No matter who you are or where you are from, you are bound to encounter difficulties. It's really strange that no one is exempt from the challenges of life. And part of dealing with those challenges is to come to grips with that they actually happen. Amen? Challenges, they actually happen. We're often very strong after we encounter a certain problem the first time, and God gives us the victory. We're happy. We're, we're, we're glad. You know, even after that problem has somewhat rocked our world, uh, when there is victory, we are glad because we're able to recover. At least most of the time we are. But then, if that problem does not return, a new one seems to pop up out of nowhere. It's like, where did that come from? Unannounced and as fresh as the morning light. And you know, when these things happen over and over again, they can wear us out. They can wear us down because we thought at one point in our life we actually passed them by and we're good to go for a long time. But then here we go again. Another challenge, another day we thought we were done. But the key for us in dealing with all these challenges is to Tap into a power that's higher than ours. Tap into the one who has the resources. And we know that those resources, that they come from the Lord and from the Lord alone. To turn with me to Job. Chapter 14, verses 1. Job. Chapter 14. Verses 1 and 2. Here's Job crying out to God because of all the stuff that had happened to him. He says this, verse 1, Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers 
He flees like a shadow and continues not. Job knew that we are not immune to life's problems. At one point or another, we all will face cloudy days. The problem for some of us hearing this passage uh, from the book of Job, it is very troubling. Because we know that Job, there was no man like Job that existed upon the earth at the time. So God says, and we have a problem with this because of what is being said. Because this language does not contain that forward-looking or positive encouragement that some of us have associated with the messages of the church. In fact, if I were a betting man, I could almost bet you, if I was a betting man, that you can go into many churches in America and you better believe that they would never preach from the book of Job. Never, ever, ever, ever. Why? Because the book of Job, its message is too negative. In fact, uh, one person told me one time that, you know, the book of Job doesn't even belong in the Bible. That they don't even understand why Job is in the Bible in the first place. They say it doesn't belong in the Bible, and therefore they feel justified in denying its authoritative place among other inspired books of Scripture. But yet God in his sovereignty, he has allowed the book of Job to find its way and its place alongside all the other highly inspired words that come from him. Why? Because Job is us. Job is you and me. Because he presents a real human struggle with adversity and persistent problems we encounter. You know, maybe not all the time, but uh, we encounter persistent problems. As you know that uh, when you are a child living at home with your parents, that you're oftentimes shielded from many of the major problems that uh, many of the older people have to go through. So you yourselves, you are protected by the anointing of your parents and the prayers of your parents. You see, kids, when you have problems, your parents are like the Marines who go in first. They're like the Marines who go in first, who take all the heavy fire for you and on your behalf. They're doing it through prayer. They're doing it by helping you out with wisdom, by encouraging you. It is your parents that go in first. So you're walking around life thinking everything is great. Everything is good. Not knowing how your mother and your father have been travailing in prayer on your behalf day in and day out. So for you, children, oh, life is hunky-dory. Life is wonderful. But Job, he knew full well what it meant to live with prosperity. 
You see, Job, he had it all. But also, the all that Job had, he had it ripped away from him in the blink of an eye. And before yet, uh, before all of his resources and his children were taken away from him, he was just like you and I, waking up and starting his day with prayer, thanking God for this and thanking God for that. But concerning his children, Scripture says this. This is Job chapter 1, verse 5. Job 1, verse 5. And this is what he did on certain days, beginning in verse 5. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would sin and consecrate them. See that? And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Right? You see that? So continually, Job prayed for his kids. So in other words, he says, just in case my kids forgot to pray for themselves, that I'm going to pray for them. But even with all of that, it was not enough to stop problems from forcefully entering their lives and stripping them of their joy. See, this is the point of today's message. Facing those tenacious struggles in a way that demonstrates spiritual maturity and dependence on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the struggles, they are going to come. Right? They're going to come. But when they do, we should deal with them in a way that indicates who we are connected to. So regardless of who you are, you are bound to face challenges in your life that will test you to your core, just like Job. You may not know of the full story about Job, but you, if you do, and if you don't, you know that Job lost everything that he had. Basically, Job was a millionaire. He had all the bling bling, and it did not even go to his head. He continuously honored God. He had all the money he could possibly have, and all his children were killed. He's like, why? And even his entire body was attacked by boils and scabs. It's like, why is this happening to me? So regardless of who you are, you're bound to face challenges in your life. People you don't like. People that don't like you. These challenges, that they may be unexpected and unprovoked. These trials, uh, they are not a respecter of persons. In other words, whether you know Jesus or not, that these trials that come into your life, they don't care. They don't care. Young, old, educated, uneducated, poor, rich, black, white, wise, unwise, challenges do not care about your position in life. They will come your way as even as you expect an email to be in your e on your in inbox when you leave today, or maybe a text message to arrive on your phone while you sit here in service, they eventually come. 
and they don't care. Now, understand that I am not wishing or praying that anything bad happens to you. I'm also well aware of, of those believers who say, you know what, when you start speaking those things, that they're going to happen. So instead of talking about those negative things, only talk about positive things. But it's like, what am I supposed to do when the negative things happen in my life then? Where do I get my strength from? You know, some of you know the story that uh, one year I encouraged someone that they were going through a tough time. And I said, well, I will pray that God will heal you. But God does not necessarily heal everyone. Are you aware of that? I will pray that God heals you in the name of Jesus Christ. And I believe in faith that God heals you today and right now. But God does not always heal everyone. Because if that were the case, then all the believers that have ever existed would continuously walk on the face of the earth. There'd be no dead folks. But God does not heal everyone. But that is my prayer that you would get healing. And I've seen people heal right before my eyes. And not just long term after the doctors have been working on them. I've seen them right before my own eyes. So listen to what Jesus says about the Father in Matthew chapter 5 verse 45. Jesus says this. That God the Father, He makes... His sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and where? On the unjust. So this is Jesus speaking. So if you believe that everybody uh, without a doubt will be healed, then uh, what you believe is in contradiction to what Jesus has said. You believe that no one should be sick. Stuff happens in life. Trials happen in life. In fact, the person we have in view today, he knows this full well uh, as he has tried uh, to make his way in life. And here we discover that even God's leaders are not exempt from persistent challenges. Even God's leaders are not exempt from persistent challenges. Hezekiah was southern Israel's 13th king. He ruled the nation after the nation was divided between Israel and Judah down at the bottom there. So it is true when he began to lead, there was already trouble in the land concerning their obedience to the Lord. However, King Hezekiah he went a long way to set things straight with God. So even though the people were, were not right, Hezekiah went a long way to get things on their right path. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 3. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 3, and I'm reading now. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. If you're familiar with uh, some of the, uh, the readings there in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, uh, you understand that for a period of time the kings were good, at least in, in, in Judah, in the southern part of Israel. 
uh, but in Judah and also in Israel in the northern part, many of the kings became evil before God. And God didn't like that. And what God would do, he began to uh, bring, rain down his punishment on the nation. Uh, so the northern part was already taken captive by Assyria. Why? Because they were disobedient to God. So when Hezekiah came into power, he said, the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to make sure that we as a nation are right before God. And isn't that what we should do? Make sure that we, our households, are right before God. Yet Hezekiah himself, he ran into deep trouble uh, from the king of Assyria. That king simply had his heart set on Israel. He wanted to completely destroy them. In essence, he wanted to take them captive because he wanted to take over the whole world. So if God's leaders, if the leader that God has selected to rule his people are not exempt from challenges, what does that say about everybody else? What does that say about you and I? 2 Kings chapter 18, now verses 28. I'm going to read a nice chunk here. Verses 28 through 32. Second Kings 18, 28. Then, the Rabshakeh, that's a title, not necessarily a name. That's why it says, the Rabshakeh. Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah. Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. For he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Verse 31, Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine. Like, how do you make a deal with the devil? And each one of you will eat of his own vine, and each one of his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink uh, the water of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own. So the land I'm going to take you to is, is just like the land that you're leaving. Okay, if that's true, why take me away? Like a land of your own, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey that you may live and not die. And do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Isn't that just like the devil? Wanting to stop you from thinking about uh, the, the help that you can get from Jesus even before you had a chance to pray. Isn't that something? Before you had a chance to pray, that the devil wants to stop you from praying. So as God's leader, we would expect any challenges to his leadership or the nation to be stopped in his tracks, however. Because he was a man of God leading God's people. Why God didn't simply stop these folks in the, in the first place? But they weren't exempt. You know, having... Responsibility over God's people is challenging enough. It's challenging. When you have to lead any type of folks, it's challenging. Amen? Uh, some people may think, well, uh, uh, when, you come into, uh, when you come into God's church, 
when you're dealing with God's people, all of a sudden things are going to be perfect. But we already know that things are not perfect in the church. Amen? Why? Because the church consists of what? Imperfect people, uh, people who have been saved by God's grace, but yet we are not perfect. Who is perfect? God is perfect and God alone is perfect. So if you are expecting perfection in God's church, then you're in the wrong place. Why don't you go back to your own job where you'll get perfection there, right? Or better yet, why don't you go back to your own family where you know you'll get perfection there, right? Or better yet, why don't you just get by yourself so you'll be, have perfection all by your lonesome, right? You're not going to find perfection. So these people are the ones that Hezekiah that he had to lead. But listen at what they wanted, and we saw this over and over again. Uh, one of the things that's repeated over and over again, anything that's repeated, we need to pay attention to it. Uh, one of the things that the Rabshakeh said over and over again, he says, do not what? Do not listen to whom? To Hezekiah. He says, don't listen to him. Because he's going to start talking that Jesus stuff. Right? He's going to start talking that Yahweh stuff, saying that if you listen to him, he's going to say the Lord is going to deliver you, and the Lord ain't going to do no such thing. Now, uh, the king of Assyria is acting like he's God. Now he's in big trouble. He's in big trouble. As a matter of fact, the king of Assyria, he went on, and we don't see this here in 2 Kings or 2 Chronicles. Turn to Isaiah chapter 36, verse 12. Isaiah 36, verse 12. You see, the king of Assyria and that Rabshakeh, they got really, really nasty. Uh, what we read so far was nice and mild. Isaiah 36, verse 12. But the Rabshakeh said, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you, and not to the men sitting on the wall? who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine. Boy, they weren't playing, were they? they uh, the Assyrians, they were, they were a nasty bunch. They were nasty. They uh, were, in essence, saying that we are as serious as serious can be. So what do you do when you hear news like that? What do you do when people or organizations threaten you uh, to your very core? Where do you turn then? How can you turn, in this case, to your king when they're threatening your own king? Who's going to help you out of this mess? I know that it's rare that most of us here talk like that. But the threats to our being seem to have a, a very deep impact. Right? We stand strong in the Lord, but when they start talking about this other stuff, all of a sudden, it can cause us to quake in our boots. This news, it did make its way to King Hezekiah. So first, uh, that the Rabshakeh, he delivered this news to the men of uh, King Hezekiah, but the news eventually made their way there. And how... That uh, one of the ways that King Hezekiah initially responded when he heard that the Assyrians were coming down, you know what he did? He got all the gold and all the silver that he could muster up and he sent it to the king of Assyria. In fact, 
really, Hezekiah was so afraid that he took the gold off the doors of the sanctuary. In other words, it was like saying that you got a threat from the devil. The first thing we're going to do, we're going to completely dismantle the church. Take all the pews. You probably said, go ahead and take all that stuff, right? Uh, take all the lights, all the electricity, electrical things. As a matter of fact, we're going to come and take your building. And, and, but, but what Hezekiah was saying, take it all. Just don't come near us. For some people, it is not enough to give you threats. For some people, they just want to embarrass you. Some folks, it's not enough just to threaten you and where you are. They want to embarrass you. They want to make it public. So everybody know that they did it. And, they, and they're bad and don't mess with them. And you know folks like this. You know folks like this. These folks are vindictive. They're selfish. And they are malformed emotionally as they walk in the depravity of their own existence. Malformed emotionally. You know this, but do they? As a matter of fact, even if they did know, would they even care how they were acting towards you and what they were trying to do to you? This threat it shook Hezekiah to his core. 2 Kings 19, verses 1 through 3. As soon as Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and ashes, sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. <clears throat> and he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and the senior priest, covered with sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, Verse 3, they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. In other words, what Hezekiah was saying, that finally as a nation, we were finally, to, finally being able to get our footing. We're just about to get strong, uh, but we can't move forward. Why? Because of this threat from the Assyrians. But note this. It's interesting that Hezekiah himself is not seen as going to the Lord in prayer. That what he does instead, he sends a message to the prophet of God. You know, there are times when we pray for ourselves, but then there are times when we need for others to intercede on our behalf. Amen? So when someone says to pray for me, what should we do? Pray for them. We should intercede on their behalf. So even though Hezekiah is not seen going directly to the Lord, we understand that he's able to connect to the Lord through others. He sends his entourage to deliver a message uh, to Isaiah who would in turn get an answer from God. So it's okay to have someone pray for you. As a matter of fact, you should enlist people to pray for you on a regular basis. Amen? Amen. I hope you're praying for me on a regular basis. Amen? Because I need prayer. Amen? Just like you need prayer. Amen? 
We all need prayer. All of God's children need prayer. All those children who are not God's children, they also need prayer. So we must pray and pray and pray again. And then when we're tired of praying, pray some more. We need to get to God. So he eventually heard back from Isaiah the prophet, 2 Kings 19 verses 6 and 7, that everything was going to be okay, that God is going to take care of your problem. And this news uh, probably gave Hezekiah a sense of comfort just to know that God was going to take care of them, safe in the arms of Jesus. Isn't that great news? When you get a word that everything is going to be all right, you can finally sit back and relax and say, you know what, that was a close one. Because it was like, woe is me. You know, I thought it was over. It is at these moments that you feel like more than a conqueror in Jesus, don't you? Don't you feel real good when God answers you, when God delivers you? Aren't you ready just to have a good old shouting good party before the Lord? You see? But then, you get that answer. But then, but then the threat returns as vicious as it was before. And that feeling of relief that was thrown out the window makes you wonder. It makes us wonder and doubt about the presence and the promise of God. Because we first thought that everything was going to be okay. And for Hezekiah, it was not. Psalm 91. Hezekiah knew this. He had to have known this or heard this psalm at one point in his life. Because his forefather David had written it, or, or may have written this particular psalm, I should say. This had been passed down for probably for generations after generations. He knew this. Psalm 91, verse 1, He who dwells in the shelter or the secret place of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrows that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Some of you may even memorize this. You may know this passage. Zechariah may have heard this countless times, but now his foundation is shaken again. After that wonderful news from the prophet Isaiah, Hezekiah knew of David's victories. So how could he not lean on the promises of the Lord also? See, sometimes uh, when problems come our way, uh, if they are at a distance, oftentimes we don't get a sense of urgency. You know, sometimes when the problems seem further away, we don't get a sense of urgency. You see, before, when the rap shaker had come, basically what he had done, he had delivered a message to the envoys of King Hezekiah. 
He says, Hezekiah, he, he says, uh, Hezekiah, boys, go tell this to your king. So they go tell him. Hezekiah said, send that message over to the prophet Isaiah. But what happens uh, differently this time? 2 Kings 19, verse 14. This is what happens this time. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. You see? This is the difference. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it, that is, that message before the Lord. And here it is. And Hezekiah did what? He prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, those are angels. You are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. So this time we see Hezekiah actively praying. Why? Because the king of Assyria sent a letter to him personally this time. He was saying, Hezekiah, you, uh, you, better, you, you better know something. This is not only for your people, but this is for you too. You better know. So prayers from other folks is good and wonderful. But we must learn to pray for ourselves. Amen? You see, previously, there was a distance between Hezekiah and the Assyrian king as the message was delivered to the other people. Right? A lot of times we say, as long as it doesn't come near me, I'm okay. Right? As long as uh, the, the, the violence is in Inglewood, I'm okay. As long as the violence is in Austin, I'm okay. I'm all right. I don't have to. I'm, I'm good to go. I don't need to pray. Not knowing that the threat is towards you as well. But we're not okay. And neither was Hezekiah. This is why I believe uh, the Assyrian king had the letter sent to Hezekiah so that he would fully understand the plans of destruction for him and his people. And they unsettle us, don't they? Right? Just when you thought you were finally out of hot water, you go from uh, out of the pot into the frying pan. And some of you said, you know what? I'm already in the frying pan, and I feel like I'm going from the frying pan into the fire. And sometimes that's how things feel. It seems like I've been praying, and I've been praying, and things get worse. How can they get worse, God? I thought you said that you hear me. I've been crying out to you day in and day out. You say that I'm more than the conqueror in, in, in him who loves me. So how in the world can these things continue to happen? More bad news. Eventually, God does take care of the Assyrians. That Assyrian king is killed by his own sons. That Assyrian king, he goes back to his land because he hears there's a mess going on. He gets back there and his own sons killed him. So the entire threat of the Assyrians vanished just like that. And for that, we can say, thank you, Jesus. When God answers our prayers, we can say, thank you, Jesus. Amen? God answers prayers. God answers our prayers. But then, I know you're probably saying, I thought you already said, but then. 
God answers our prayers, but then. 2 Kings 19, verse 35. We need to read this. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Verse 36. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. Verse 37. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, uh, Dramalek and Shereza, uh, uh, his son, struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. And Eskadon, his son, reigned in his place. So there you go. He got killed by them. So God truly and faithfully delivers those who, who trusted him. But again, but then... You see, those first challenges, uh, they happen from the outside inward you know, to you. But now, 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1. So after he was successful there, chapter 20, verse 1 happens. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet the son of Amos came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. It's like, uh, it's like, man, God, it's bad enough that I'm having problems from all those folks who don't like me and your people. God, I came into this situation and I prayed and I got rid of all the idols that were in the land. You know me and you knew my heart. God, how I prayed upon you that when we had a problem, I did not go to another God, that I went to your prophet first. That I went to your man. And, and, and God, even after all that, when I got the second threat, that what ended up happening, that I prayed to you for myself. I took the threats of the enemy, the threats of the devil, and I placed them before you. And I said, God, oh God, deliver us. And you gave me a word and you delivered me. So I was found faithful, Lord God. And after all that, me being your man, you being God's woman, after all of that, you send your man to me, the man of God, and tell me I'm getting ready to die. This just doesn't make sense. I have served you. I have served you faithfully. And now you dump all this on me. You know, this is just enough. I had enough. Can you imagine? Can you imagine you being encouraged? Because God is answering prayers and then God tells you, he delivers a word to you and says, you're going to die. No, it doesn't come from an enemy. But it comes from heaven. Huh. Ouch. This is one of those points that people do say enough is enough. Some people. Some people just give up they wave the white flag and you say, you know, Lord, forget it. Take me. I'm done. I don't care. I don't care about nothing. I don't care about your people. I did all of this. I, I, I'm waving the white flag. Come on and take me now. 
Getting this kind of news is no difference from getting bad news from the doctor about your health. It's no different from getting the news that after you have paid off all of your bills, that you've struggled and you've scratched and you've scraped everything that you possibly could and you dug on the inside, you didn't go out, you didn't do this, and you got all the bills paid and, and you know that you were having problems uh, and then all of a sudden you, you have no money left in the bank and then someone else sends you a bill that says, but wait a minute, that we're going to charge you uh, $10,000 interest on all the rest of that stuff. Like, where do I turn? Where do I go? It hits you like a ton of bricks. And all of your options are not good options. <laughs> so how does Hezekiah respond to this re recent threat? You already know the answer. The answer is what? Prayer. 2 Kings 20, verse 2. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. You, you, you notice that? You see, how, how can you go to the prophet now if the prophet was the one to deliver you the bad news? You can't go say, Mr. Prophet, uh, Mr. Mr. Isaiah, uh, I, I need for you to pray for me. Isaiah said, hey, I ain't even trying to go there. I have a message for you. This is your message. You're going to die. How can you go to him? I've seen it before. I, I, I've seen it before in the hospital. I've seen it before in the hospital, and, 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 and sometimes it hurts. I've seen it before to go walk into a hospital to pray for someone who's had struggle after struggle after struggle. And I've seen people, when I pray, turn their head. What do you do? As a guy, he turns his head. And he prays. But also it says, did you see that? <clears throat> and with a whole heart and have done what is good. He said, I've always done this. He's pleading to God. Then he says, and then the scripture says, and Hezekiah, he wept bitterly. This man was hurt. Maybe he was weeping because he was afraid. I don't know, it just says he wept bitterly. He wept. But you know what? Even in the 11 o'clock hour, God honored Hezekiah. Eventually, God delivers a message to Hezekiah through Isaiah the prophet. God says, okay, I'm going to give you 15 more years. Now imagine if you would, uh, whatever you're going through, if you just give up. And all God wanted you to do this last time was to pray again. Imagine if you had nothing left in you. It could be over, whatever your situation is. But in the 11 o'clock hour, God delivered. God delivered in the 11 o'clock hour, and he gave Hezekiah 15 more years. Well, I'm not sure where you are. This message is about 
holding up in prayer, even when persistent circumstances and challenges come into your life and you just wore out and you just tired. Tired! Even though problems may persist, God is still in the prayer answering business. So I want to encourage you today. Even after all that Hezekiah had gone through, that he could have stopped. But he turned his head and he prayed and God still answered. Let's pray.